Coming up on today's show. With Miranda, and this is this is pretty serendipitous, but I was playing at a place called Tavern on the Green in New Braunfels, Texas. She listened to my set. I walked outside. She introduced herself to me, and a month later, I was playing a birthday party. Welcome to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Wozniak, talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, and more from the worldwide music community. Be sure you are on the list for the weekly e-newsletter I only send out on Wednesday when a new episode of this show comes out. So make sure you are signed up to receive that for free to your inbox. If you're not already getting it, go to my podcast website, nhte.net, and pop your email address into the sign-up box. I do publish exclusives in there from time to time, so don't miss out. I love hearing from listeners of this show. You can write to podcast at nhte.net, or instead of email, you're welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from near Birmingham, Alabama, my guest is a singer, songwriter, guitar player who just released a new single earlier this month, already his fourth new song of 2023. As a songwriter, he has had songs recorded by the likes of Miranda Lambert, Little Big Town, Kid Rock, Travis Tritt, Leanne Womack, and more. He has his own record label and last September released an album that hit number 10 on the Americana chart. Last October, he made his Grand Ole Opry debut and then made a return appearance four months ago. Between our recording today and early November, he will perform in Georgia, Texas, Colorado, South Carolina, Idaho, and at the third Lake Martin Songwriters Festival in Alabama. His top five songs on Spotify have a combined 5.3 million streams, and his official YouTube channel has a combined total of over 1.1 million video views. You've been hearing a song of his called Harder Stuff. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Adam Hood. Well, thank you for having me, buddy. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for, uh, for letting me be a part of this. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much for making time in your busy schedule to talk with me today. Let's start off by having you share with the audience all about the song of yours that was just playing called Harder Stuff, especially since I was talking over it and they couldn't hear the lyrics as clearly as you and I would have liked. No, that's fine. Um, Harder Stuff was the second single released off my album, Bad Days Better, which is which is basically the current album that's out now. Um, uh, I, I wrote it with uh, my buddy Davis Nix and with Brent Cobb, who produced the record, and with Charlie Starr from Blackberry Smoke, and Blackberry Smoke was the backing band for this record. Um, uh, I, I got the opportunity to, to have Miranda Lambert as the feature on, on this, which was very helpful and very generous to her. And, um, you know, I mean, it, it's a, to be honest with you, it's, it's a song about sobriety and kind of my whole, my whole, uh, uh, process with all those things. It's a pretty vulnerable time, but, mm. uh, but it was very well received and we're very proud of the tune and the way it turned out and, and is a representation of the record. So is that something that is, 
personal in the sense that it's difficult to write about. A lot of songwriters will talk about how it can be therapeutic. Just walk us through what that's like for a songwriter to write about something that's a relatively sensitive topic. It's not something that a lot of people would probably want to be openly sharing, but you were courageous and said, no, I need to write a song about this. So just take us through the emotion of writing a song about a topic like that. Well, for me, I didn't necessarily want it to be my platform, if that makes any sense. You know, I mean, it was the thing that, you know, the thing that I struggled with. It was the decision that I made. It wasn't, you know, it, it was it was kind of something that, yeah, like you said, I mean, it was it was a personal thing and, and a decision that I made. And also, you know, it's just because of the fact that I decided to quit drinking doesn't mean that I'll never have a drink again, I suppose. But I just, you know, I wake up every day and I don't want to. So, you know, but at, again, like I said, you know, you just you don't want to you don't want to make it such a campaign. But uh, the song kind of presented itself to me. I mean, um, I had no intention of it. But Davis, uh, I was in a hotel room one night kind of hiding from an after party and Davis walked in and he said, hey, man, I got this idea for this song and uh, sang me the chorus. And I thought, well, all right, here we go. We're mm. off to the races on this one. <laughs> and, uh, and so we we kind of we finished it. We we all but finished it up. And so when it was time to record the record, uh, Brent and Charlie and I were just sitting in the living room of the house we stayed in and we recorded in Macon, Georgia. And we were just sitting in the living room of the house we stayed in and just kind of pilfering through songs and, and, and tightened that one up and went and recorded it the next day. So, so yeah, I mean, it just, like I said, the, it, it's, it's funny how some things, um, in spite of your best laid plans will, will, uh, will, uh, force you to do things differently. <laughs> yeah, I love that description because I totally get what you're saying, that you did make the conscious decision, okay, look, this is going to be a song I'm going to do, and I hope it'll help some people. It's going to give me a little yeah. bit of opportunity to tell my story. But no, this is not going to be what Adam Hood is going to be all about now. And every song, every live show, every interview, it's not going to all be Correct. about that. It's just one song. Right. And again, and I feel like the the, the, the the change in lifestyle will speak for itself. I know mm. it does in my shows. I mean, I you know, as far as like, you know, there's a part of me that, that feels guilty for the years that I let people pay the money that they paid to walk in and watch me behave the way I did on stage. Mm. You know wow. what I mean? Wow. And so because they I mean, they saw me very subpar. And uh, and I know it's a it's a better show now. But you're right. And the, and the cool thing is about that, because I feel like because of the fact that I haven't made it. I mean, listen, man, I have people every day that say, man, that song really means a lot because of the fact that, you know, it helped me, especially because that was like a COVID song or, you know, uh, when everybody was either, they either bought a margarita machine or they decided <laughs> to quit drinking. So, you know, so I have, you know, everybody, I mean, from Sundance Head, Pat Green to just friends of mine, you know, and I mean, I hate that. I don't, I don't mean to talk about, I shouldn't air the people's dirty laundry, but it means a lot when someone that is a, uh, uh, an influence and a, a, a comrade says, hey, man, that song, you know, I, I, I chose the same path that you chose. And the fact that you wrote about it kind of helped me with my struggle in it. And that's, it, it's just, it really means a lot. No doubt. No doubt. As evidenced by what I mentioned in the intro, you by all means have carved out quite a place for yourself as a songwriter. But I think it's fair to say that you've really got quite a bit of momentum going right now as an artist. Before we start breaking some of that down, talk about already having released four singles in these first six months of 2023. As far as I can tell, those are all new songs, meaning they were not on the album you put out last September. If I'm right about that, 
what went into the decision to keep cranking out more new tunes as this year has unfolded rather than just trying to keep promoting the the Bad Days Better project? And I guess for that matter, will there still be even more new singles this year? Okay, here's okay. Here's here's my full disclosure. Here's my little ice in the hole when it comes to this. This you you are correct. The songs that we've been putting out are new songs that aren't well I'm sorry they're they're songs that aren't on bad days better however this is this is a re-recorded uh version of an album that's going to come out in September called Adam Hood's Different Groove and so basically when I was uh well I don't know how old I was I don't I'm not a mathematician so uh, <laughs> back in 2005 I went to Los Angeles and made a record with a guy named Pete Anderson. It was the first full-length record I ever made. Um, Pete was the guy that produced all Dwight Yoakam's records. Uh, the guy had Grammys. It was mm. my first opportunity co-writing. I, I, you know, born and raised in Alabama. And next thing you know, I'm in Los Angeles, California, for three years making a record. And um, and so these they they're songs that mean a lot. And these were the songs that like 22 Days and Different Groove, these were the songs when I started my actual like, you know, traveling, touring, releasing songs on the radio career. These were the first songs that I recorded or these were the first songs that I released. And so um, a, a lot of time has gone by and I feel like that there were things just like with any other album, you know. There are things that you love about it, and then there are things that you would have done differently. Well, we mm -hmm. had the opportunity to do it differently. And so what I did was I went in to a studio in Austin, Texas. The studio is called The Finishing School. And uh, Gordy Quist from the band The Heathens uh, is uh, produced the record. And just about everybody else in The Heathens, Trevor and, and Nick and, and uh, Ed lives – I think he lives in North Carolina, so he, he, was, he was at home. But the rest of the guys – um, played on the record and so it, I had a cool opportunity to work with a cool band at a great studio and it just so happened that that you know we were we were kind of in a position to where I just I decided I wanted to re-record this record mm. but the, the thing is like with streaming services and stuff like that this this album doesn't exist and so ah. um, for for people that are that that are primarily Spotify listeners, this is a these are these are brand new songs. Now, for people that have been coming to shows for twenty years, they're like, well, and the truth be told, um, everybody has really been sweet about it. You know, everybody said, you know, Adam, I I, I love this song when you released it, but this version of it is great. And mm. so, you know, I just, I you know, I I say we put a fresh coat of whitewash on all this, and um <laughs> and it's I feel like it's translating, and it is a blast. I had a great time making it. I feel like these are some of the as far as performances go, I mean, I've lived with these songs for 20 years, and so <laughs> this is, it's about as close to perfect as I've ever gotten on a record. But you know what, man? What I really like about that is I get a lot of guests on this show who will talk about songs that they wrote. In your case, I think you said 2005, so that's 18 years ago. Correct. I get a lot of guests that will say, oh, gosh, I don't want to even listen to the music I was putting out back then. I'm such a different artist now. I'm such a different writer now. And so I love that you really believe in those songs and that those songs have stood the test of time for you to where you are still interested in re-recording them and re-releasing them 18 years later. Yeah, and it's important to me, and you know, I, I kind of say these things with, when with people that you know, we when I talk to other writers, you know, it's important. In, in as much as you can put yourself and your heart and your feelings in a song, it is equally as important to be able to remove yourself from that song and say, all right, 
what do I like about this tune and what do I not like about this tune? Mm. And, and honestly, with those tunes, um, the, the, the things that I liked, I don't know, I was, I was pretty happy with the majority of, of, uh, of the writing process on it, thankfully. Um, but there were just, there were a few little arrangements that, that, you know, I just said, you know what, I wish we'd have done that differently. And I had the opportunity to do so on every single one of these songs. There's 10 songs on this record. And, you know, we, the, the beautiful part is with the exception of maybe three, we, we held it pretty close to the original arrangement. And, and just, you know, I, I may have changed a word here. I may have put, you know, may have gone to the, the, the dominant chord instead of the minor fifth or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. one little thing um, that, that we did there. But it's important to be able to do that, to be able to kind of be able to critique your own work, you know? Yeah, the other cool thing about a redo is you've performed the songs for so many years, like you just said, there might be just a minor tweak where you go, you know, I've always loved that I play it live this way, which isn't how it was on the album, so I'm going to do it that way on the album now. And just to close this up, by the way, so when will this be released, this this album reissue? The album itself will be released September 22nd. We're calling it Adam Hood's Different Groove. Okay. And so, yeah, we're, it'll be out to... Um, it'll be on CD and vinyl and, and all streaming services in its entirety on September 22nd, Friday, okay. September okay. 22nd. Awesome. Well, let's get back to the Bad Days Better album. I want to make sure to give you an opportunity to talk more about that 10-song effort. Share with the audience all about that project. You started to mention it a little bit when we talked about the opening song, but just talk about where that album was recorded, who produced it, all the details. Well, that was uh, Bad Days Better is my COVID record, basically. And so what mm. happened was that, again, same thing. Um, okay, so Cap- this record was recorded in Capricorn Studios in Macon, Georgia. Capricorn Studios is where um, the Allman Brothers recorded. Um, Leonard Skinner did some work there. Wet Willie recorded records there. I mean, you know, and Macon, Georgia is kind of Little Richards from Macon, Georgia, Otis Redding from Macon, Georgia. I mean, you know, the the I mean, I'd, I'd say if it's rock and roll music it's it's probably a long but um it, it so uh mercer university bought capricorn records in december of 2019 and then in march the the world shut down so but the good news was um brent cobb had gone in there with the georgia music hall of fame and had had done some different things and some recordings there and had a relationship and so we just called capricorn and asked them if we could come in in august and they said of course well we were looking around for bands and you know nobody was doing anything and so charlie Starr and brent and i had kind of started a relationship because um brent uh brent's cousin dave cobb uh, who, of course, has produced records with Sturgill Simpson and Stapleton and, and uh, uh, Jason Isbell and, and guys like that. So Dave had is had produced one of Blackberry Smoke's albums and was had introduced us for some writing stuff. And so we were all kind of developing relationship when this happened. Mm-hmm. Well, we asked Charlie and the guys if they wanted to be a part of the band. So so Charlie and Britt and Richard Turner, which is the bass player and the drummer, um, came in and, and, and were, were the band on the record. So I, I played acoustic, Charlie played electric, Britt played drums, Richard played bass, a guy named Adam Wakefield played keyboards. And we just spent about four days down in Macon just making this record. And, and I mean, it, it's, it's, it's great. And Brent is a close friend of mine, and we've known each other for a long time. And so um, it was really nice to have someone at the helm that is a friend and somebody that, you know, I'll let – 
I let him make decisions that I would normally make myself mm. because I, I, I allowed myself to trust him because I knew I could. Wow. So it's a great record. I'm, I'm really proud of it. I love that too, because it is so important to be able to remove yourself and say, I'm just going to be the artist and let somebody else produce it, but let's let it be someone that I am going to trust so that I can kind of let my guard down and say, okay, I'm focusing on just being the artist and I'm not going to worry about those decisions because I know it's in capable hands. Well, and it was important for me to do that because I was kind of at a crossroads with my career. You know, I, I in Brent and I talked about this a lot, you know, there were, there were things as a writer that I feel like I had put my stamp on, but as an artist, you know, I mean, I have a style and I, and I have a style that I've spent a lot of time and a lot of years developing. And I don't, for all the time and effort I've put into developing the style, I don't know that I've ever given myself the freedom to actually just, just openly liberatedly be that person in the, in the recording studio. Mm -hmm. And, and because of the fact that, that I've given myself too much responsibility and haven't, I haven't let somebody from the outside looking in as a friend and a fan go, you know, Adam, this, you know, I like that you want to record this song, but I'd rather you record this song. And so, you know, and, and instead of, instead of you playing it in this key, let's do it in that key. So it'll raise up your, you know, sing like you can sing, sing Mm. like I know you can do it, play it like this. And you know what I'm saying? It it was, it was a, it was a, a, a lesson learned and a fun experience with somebody that I'm close to. Well, and it's also a wonderful lesson for anyone in the audience who is an aspiring performer that, you know, sometimes, well, let's face it, most times you're your own worst critic and, and you got to get out of your own way. And that's the benefit of having someone else come in, an uninterested third party who can say, man, you know, I would love it if you played it in this key instead. Let's just see what it sounds like. Right. And then you kind of have that freedom to go, yeah, man, I'm glad we tried that, but I don't know. I'm I'm still feeling it the original way, but at least you tried it. And chances are that person's going to be right. If producing is what they do, they're going to be right. <laughs> You're going to end up recording right. it in the other key. Yes, exactly. And that's the cool thing about this record is the fact that, like, you know, with, with this one, I can't say there's one single solitary thing I'd go back and change. Mm. I mean, everything... Everything is, I mean, I, I play it, I play it live the way I play it in the studio. I sing it live the way I sang it in the studio because of the fact that, you know, like I said, I, I well, like we're talking about, I trusted my producer and, and I, and I knew that this was an attempt to record the best version of, of the me at the time. So yeah, I mean, it's, it, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. There's fantastic. Of fantastic. So that album was released last September and then, wow, the next month there you are performing on the Grand Ole Opry stage, not to mention again in February. Is it safe to say that in terms of live performances, that was what, maybe top three all time for you? Take us back to last October and share all about that experience. Oh yeah. I'd say that's, I mean, that for sure. To, I, I honestly can't think of, well, and I've, I've talked to some friends about this, that I I can't think of a time or I can't think of a single solitary moment that everything changed. I mean, I'd say probably, you know, Miranda is probably the reason why I got a job in Nashville, which started everything. So, I mean, that was, that was a pretty crucial moment. Um, but then the Opry is, it was just one of those things to where, you know, we went and played it. And then just the phone calls were different. And Mm. then it was something that it was something that, you know, when 
when people go through their uh, they they go through their you know due diligence of introducing me on stage, they they put that into the introduction without yeah. me having to tell them to do so and yeah. things like that, you know, and and it's it's really I. I I realize the gravity of it now that I've done it and, and, you know, leading up to it, I thought I understood the gravity of it, <laughs> but now that we've actually done it and, and can sort of see how it worked. I, I mean, I, I feel like that it's a, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, a really, a, as far as a singular moment, it was probably, probably the, the, one of the most important. And I'm here to say that it's probably better that you're realizing the gravity more now afterwards. <laughs> Otherwise, I can't even imagine <laughs> what that would have done to you even more than you probably already were mentally and psychologically oh, walking onto the stage. I mean, so it's a good thing I've played it twice because the first time, I, it, you know, the, like everybody around me was crying so much that like, <laughs> I just I had to just put my head down. I walked out on stage, I played my songs, I answered some questions, and I, I went back and just breathed. But the second time was cool because when I walked out on stage, I looked up and was able, mm. I mean, you know, in, uh, yes, it's a the opportunity is cool, but that's a great room. And the band is incredible, and it sounds impeccable, and that circle feels like something under your feet. And I mean, it is, it is really, it's a breathtaking moment. It really is. And, and those are, I, I've kind of learned the hard way that you, it's hard to appreciate some things in real time. You don't really, sure. you don't really know how important they are until you get a little bit behind it. But, but the Opry was one that I was able to really sort of, like I said, I mean, it was, it was a special thing that I could, I could appreciate while, while it was happening. Yeah, it sounds like October, Bruce, don't ask me. I have no recollection. Just go and watch the video. February, I could probably tell you a little bit more about it. Yes, 100%. 100%. <laughs> so while we're talking about live shows, I do want to go back to one in particular that I mentioned in the intro that you'll be doing. It's the third Lake Martin Songwriters Festival. That's in late July. I'm sure you love every opportunity you get to perform, but that one being in your home state and being a Songwriters Festival, I'm thinking you've probably got that event circled on your calendar. Absolutely. Well, it's 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 pretty close to where I grew up. Um, basically, you know, Lake Martin is my so my grand my mom's dad was building a cabin on Lake Martin mm. when I was born. They wow. had to they had to stop building it to run my mom to the hospital to have me. So, <laughs> um, so I grew up on that lake, um, wow. learning to ski and swim and and stay away from snakes and, and all that <laughs> stuff. And so, and so, and my dad's side of the family, D- Dadeville is one of the closer towns to that. And so, m- most of my dad's family lived in Dadeville. Um, yeah, so it's really, really special to me to kind of be back in that area. It's it's as close to home as my mother's house. Nice, nice. Wow. So I want to back up to when you were talking about the album that you did last September, because you mentioned a bunch of different people that played on it. For those just being introduced to you for the first time, since I mentioned at the start of this episode that you've got lots and lots of entries on your live show's calendar all the way through November already— Describe to the first-timers what a live Adam Hood show looks like. Are these solo shows? Is it full band? Is it somewhere in between, a combination thereof? What can they expect? Um, well, yeah, we, we, the, the answer is yes. <laughs> um, I do have a band, a great band, that, that travels with me when we do band shows. Um, I've got a, the, the guy that plays bass with me is the guy that... that recorded my first EP in 2004 basically the the Justin recorded we recorded in his basement 
the the songs that got me to LA basically. And so I, you know, Justin and I have known each other for a long time, and and they're a great band. And uh, you know, it's 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 pretty much when when you come to see the band show, you're going to get more of the Delbert McClinton uh, kind of John Hyatt kind of style that's you know rootsy mm. rock, but still and you know, but but still kind of laid back. And and at a at a manageable volume to where you don't you can still hear the lyrics, which is the I mean, if there's one thing as a songwriter that I've learned over the years, it's listen and it's it it's people saying this to me about my stuff as much as they've said, Hey, I went to see so and so and you know what I didn't like? I couldn't hear the words. Mm. And so we want to make sure that like it, that it can be as close to the full production of the record as as is possible, but still be able to hear the words clearly because those words are important. They make the song, you yeah. know. And so, and then um, it's the same thing like with my solo stuff. I take those moments. We we kind of try to do that when we make records. I mean, I can say that not just with Bad Days Better, but. I mean, but, you know, somewhere in between was um, the record that I did before Bad Days Better. I mean, we, that was kind of the plan was to make a record with instrumentation around a song that can stand on its own, basically. So I can I can take each song and I can play it full band like the record, but I can also take each song and I can play it by myself mm. like the record. And so I feel like that 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 you can get some of the same effect from both shows, just depending on what you like more. I mean, you know, to me, you know, I mean, the intimacy of playing by myself is spectacular. I can walk on stage without a set list. I love that. Mm. However, I listen. I, I started playing guitar before I started singing, and so I really enjoy plugging my telly in mm. and 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 turning it up and and being, you know, just like I said, being Delbert McClinton for a little while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from near Birmingham, Alabama, by singer, songwriter, guitar player Adam Hood. Visit his official website at adamhood.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. You heard him talking about his Bad Days Better album. On Adam's website, you can order that on CD or even on vinyl. Additionally, look for Adam's full catalog on the likes of Apple Music and other online digital music retailers. All those live shows we've been talking about, look on adamhood.com for the full list. Since this episode is being released on June 28th, I will say that in addition to the Lake Martin Songwriters Festival at the end of next month, Adam has seven other dates in July alone in Texas, Colorado, South Carolina, and Georgia. He's very much on social media. Find links on his website for Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Of course, as I mentioned in the intro, his music is streaming on Spotify, so give him a follow on there too. Speaking of Spotify, I don't want to assume that you all have heard each of the last three episodes of this show, so I want to again this week mention something I shared during those interviews because it bears repeating. And by the way, I had written about this in the weekly e-newsletter, and I had posted about it on the Instagram account for this podcast. For those of you that listen to this show through Spotify, look below the episode description for where it says Q&A, followed right underneath that by what did you think about this episode and a reply button so you can send feedback directly to me through their app. I would love to get your thoughts that way. So if you're listening through Spotify, please take a moment to utilize that feature. 
Adam, let's dig into the songwriting you've done. Back in the intro, I alluded to cuts you've had with some really major artists. You started to mention something before about Miranda really getting things going for you in Nashville. As exciting and as glamorous as those all are, I have a feeling you're going to tell us about all the songs you had to write that no one ever heard on the way to finally getting your first cut or two. Tell us about that journey, but then also... Once you do get a cut or two, just like you said about the Opry, does it start to snowball and the momentum just really builds? Or is it, man, no, you still have to work just as hard to get your next one and your next one and so on? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, songwriting is probably, I, I, dare I say this, it's it's probably the, the more brutal aspect of it, to be honest with you. It's the... The songs are the first place you're going to hear no. And I, I have a, a, a good buddy. His name's Wyatt Durrett. And Wyatt, I mean, Wyatt wrote Chicken Fried. He wrote a, a bunch of Luke Combs songs. I mean, the guys had hits. Mm. And I heard Wyatt say in an interview that, that even with him, it's still 98% no. Wow. I, you know what I mean? Like, it's like nobody, even even the people that you think that they're – just their their journal thoughts are getting songs cut. They may be, but they're still hearing no more than they're hearing yes. And it's it's the it's the part of the job that I knew was going to come, and it's the part of, that I've accepted. But it is still the most difficult to swallow. And you know, Miranda is a great example um, for somebody that basically uh, she introduced me to Frank Liddell, who was her producer at the time. And Frank ha- uh, has a publishing company, and I was a writer. Like she got me that job. Mm. I was, and that's that that job is where I met Brent Cobb, um, and well, and and, and uh, countless other people. And so I was a writer there for seven years. And two weeks after I got out of that publishing deal, I wrote good old days with Brent and Miranda and it was the first song that Miranda cut. So I was, I, I was there for seven years at the work that she introduced me to. And after I finished that job, after we were done from that company, that's when I got, wow. got the publishing. Got crazy. The song cut. So yeah, it's crazy. And it, you know, and it's, it really is one of those things to where, um, I grew up in a time to where you, where you read liner notes yep. and I take for granted that, most like my wife doesn't well, she cares who wrote the song because because she's married to me. But like before she was married to me, she didn't stop what she was doing and go, I wonder who wrote this song. Exactly. Like, that's, just, I mean, that's not how that's not how you're, you know, at the average person thinks. And that's fine. But that's how I always thought. And so the, those things were so important to me. And, and they, you know, I mean, Travis Trick got me to Bob Seger that got me to Van Morrison. Mm. And, you know, he, you know, Travis Trick got me to Steve Earle that got me to Towns Van Zandt mm. that got me to Delbert McClinton that, you know, kind of opened the doors to Texas. And so when Texas opened its doors to me, I was very well knowledgeable in the music that, that kind of came out of Texas mm-hmm. just because of the fact that I just, I love I love songwriting and um I, when I was 17 I was you know that was I was just getting started learning how to play the guitar and my mom brought home a cassette tape of John Hyatt's Bring the Family and, you mm. know and Hyatt is he is the guy that I've patterned my career after and I mean I'm I'll be 48 in in, uh, in, in July and I've said this my whole career that, that that I heard Bring the Family and I said that's what I want to do wow. because of the fact that it was raw it was recorded four piece um, but also Bonnie Raitt had a hit with thing called love and, and thing called love was actually like on VH one and, you know, on the radio at the time that I heard that song. So I heard the song 
on the radio. And then I heard on the cassette tape, the guy that wrote his version. I was mm. like, Oh, well, that's even better. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so I just, I feel like I, I found a depth of music that takes some people a long time to find really early in my life. And it, it set my trajectory. So, you know, that's kind of what we decided, you know, I, I want, I want to give that to people. Okay, let's back up, though, because I know there are people who are yelling at their listening device and saying, wait a minute, how did he get to know Miranda Lambert in the first place for her to make the introduction where he got the seven-year yes, job? I, <laughs> correct, yeah, I know. Okay, so with Miranda, and this is, this is pretty serendipitous, but I was playing at a place called Tavern on the Green in New Braunfels, Texas, and uh, Ray Wiley Hubbard used to do a radio show there on Tuesday nights. Well, Miranda and her mother were on vacation in New Braunfels that the, the Guadalupe and the Comal river, you know, they run through New Braunfels. And so everybody's always floating the river down there. So it's kind of a river town, but, um, they were down there on vacation and their car broke down. And so, hmm. um, the, wow. the mechanic said, well, you know, I can fix this tomorrow. So they said, well, let's just go get a, an Airbnb, I guess at the time, um, <laughs> or like just a, a, a hotel house. Yeah. And they walked, they, that's what they did. They, they found somewhere to stay and they walked over to Tavern on the Green wow. uh, to have a drink. And I was playing. Wow. And, um, and so, you know, she listened to my set. <sighs> I walked outside. She introduced herself to me. And t- a, a month later, I was playing a birthday party. Man, man, how cool is that? How cool is uh, that? It's, Come it's on. Really, it was a really, really interesting Come moment. Come on. So with all the songwriting success you have had, I would love to hear where you come down on the side of so, so many guests that have been on this show over the years who have said everything from don't write for the radio to I'm just writing for myself at this point to you got to do what feels right for you to to maybe even your thoughts on solo rights versus co-writes. Oh, man. I mean... It's a good thing we got time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and again, for me, it's it's kind of you know my approach to the whole writing process, not really the creative process of it, but but the the where I fall into it really is is all dependent on my age. You know, I again same thing. I grew up and and you know well I say grew up, but I I really got involved once I heard the writers John Hyatt. Uh, Steve Earle, Kevin Welch, guys like that. Um, guys that, for all intents and purposes, these guys had publishing deals. And so they were guys that kind of made records. Kevin is a great example. Kevin's what I mean, you know, and I heard, I've heard people say that, you know, when Kevin Welch lost his publishing deal, that was when, that was when the Nashville songwriter kind of started to disappear. And mm. I, that, that kind of, I, that might hold true. But, um, but Kevin's a good example of somebody that, that made records for himself, but really was, um, a, a writer. And, and he was, he was a published songwriter that, that went to curb records on a whatever daily, weekly, monthly basis and sat down and, and wrote songs. And, um, so I learned to appreciate those things. And, and as, as, as my path has kind of come up to where I am, the world has changed. Um, you know, I, I, I read, an article that Kip Moore put out, and I, can't, I wish, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase all this stuff, but basically mm-hmm. what he said was, you know, he said that when he moved to Nashville, there were like 1,500 songwriters, published songwriters. He said, you know, and he said in the eight years that he'd been there, which had, he had been there eight years, he said there were like 250. Mm-hmm. So the because of the fact that, that 
just things had changed the way they had, and they are still changing. Just the pool has really kind of gotten more shallow for a, for a songwriter to be a songwriter. Mm. Um, so that's something really to keep in mind. And, and trying to navigate through times changing the way they have, mm-hmm. um, it, 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 it affects how you want to look at things, but you are who you are. And um, I know guys, and I've written with guys like Jeffrey Steele is a great example. He's somebody that, I mean, the guys had so many great country hits. And he just, you sit down with him and you write a song, and he just has a way to put adjectives and adverbs in these musical places mm. that you just think, wow, that is so simple and so beautiful at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it makes the melodies flow in a way that makes the song well written, mm. but really commercial. Because at the end of the day, a commercial song is a song that, like, is, is as elementary and as fundamental as it gets. Mm. So the the thing that is the smoothest and is the most, I mean, it, an earworm is a bad example because that kind of gives it a negative connotation. But mm-hmm. like, you know, you think about it. I mean, the songs that, that you love the most are the ones that are like, that they flow like happy birthday does. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and it, it takes, it takes a, a master to be able to learn and unlearn the craft. And I don't know that, I don't know that, that there are as many people giving it the time as there used to be. Mm. But back up to when you started your answer and you said the songwriting side more so than the creative side. Okay. Meaning as as far as like, as far as the guy that writes songs for someone else, because there's, you know, there's a difference and it it all depends on who I'm in a room with. I mean, like, you know, if if I'm in a room with Miranda, we're going to be writing songs for Miranda. (laughs) I mean, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, you, you won't, and that's kind of how things tend to work. You know, if if you're in a room writing with an artist, you want to try to be the writer that helps support the artist, get his artistry out. Mm -hmm. And, and so you, you, you want to kind of adapt and adjust to the things that make that person great. I mean, you know, like case in point, you know, like Luke Combs. I mean, we try, I try my best to write Luke Combs songs and, and you know, I I, it's a collaborative effort at the end of the day, mm-hmm. but you, there's a difference between me approaching writing with someone like that, as opposed to writing for my own writing records. for yourself. You know, yeah. It, yeah, exactly. I see. I see. Well, let's change gears a little bit here. I mentioned the various social media platforms that you're on. With as busy as you are writing and performing, I'd love to know what your time management secret is relative to staying active on all those, but also YouTube in particular and and to what you attribute your success to on there with, as I said in the intro, more than 1.1 million combined video views. Well, and credit where it's due. Two things. Number one, my wife is a force. Um, she is someone that is tireless when it comes to those kind of things. Um, I mean, with with time management, I mean, we have I have three children, but one's grown and two are two are much younger. My youngest is four, and so uh, we we put the kids to bed and then we stay up. So mm. <laughs> I don't sleep. I don't sleep much. Wow. But um, but that's really. I mean, the time that we're the most active and planning the most is really kind of after the kids go to bed. Um, but yeah, Brittany is, is she's, she's really, she's always kind of had a knack for those kind of things. She's somebody that, you know, she, uh, went to school at Alabama, got a PR degree. And, and so uh. she understands the value in those kind of things, but she's also a very social person and, and understands the, that, 
the good thing about social media, and and I realize this as well, like it's not just it's not just getting your music out there. Yes, it is. It's getting your music out there to the people that want to hear it. But you kind of learn to develop a relationship with the people that want to hear it through mm-hmm. social media. Like, you know, because of the fact that I answer comments and then like look at likes and then kind of talk to people in messages and stuff, I recognize their faces when they show up to shows. And, and which is, wow. that's crucial, man. I yeah. mean, that is, that's, that, that's so important. Yeah, that that, that so, means so much to them. Wow, he knows who I am without them saying, hey, Adam, I'm Fred. I'm the guy who, I know who you are. Right, <laughs> exactly. And it's as important to me, too, because, you know, I mean, well, I mean, not long ago, I had some friends that, well, I say friends, people that I'd never met before. But, you know, I, and I get this a lot. Um, we've been listening to you for 10 years. We finally had a, a little bit of time off. We drove from Florida to LaGrange, Georgia to see you play. Or wow. we, I mean, you know, I mean, we drove from, or we flew from Denver to Auburn to see you play. Wow. And, and man, talk about how, how awesome that is. Oh my you gosh. know, I mean, the numbers are, are some, they're one thing, but, but just the, the effort that it takes for somebody to really want to come watch me stand on stage for 90 minutes and, and just do what I would do in my living room. Um, that's really special. And I want to know those people because at the same time, those are people that when you're making a record, you can rely on them. You can say, Hey, is this any good? And they'll tell you, I don't like it. Or I do. Oh, I love this. Hey, I know exactly what you're saying because, you know, to me, when I look and see that someone in Sweden gave up an hour of their time to listen to my podcast with all the podcasts that are out there. And here's a guy that's another continent away. I, I, I feel you, Adam, because that does mean so, so much. And like you're saying, for someone to get on a plane and fly to your show because they love Adam Hood's music and they've been following him for years, man, that 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 just is is the payoff. I mean that that's that's special, you know. And it's cool because I you know and heard you talking about just at the at the bottom of your Spotify, like you take the time to do Q and A because it it only makes you better. Yep. And the best version of what you're doing is is ultimately what you want. And the best way to get that. It's just hard. And again, this is this it's it's full circle. Like, you know, it's just hard to be able to sit in the middle of it and do it and see what it looks like from the outside. You got to have outside opinion. Yeah, because people are going to come up to you after the show and and shake your hand and go, man, loved your music. Great show. And you're like, awesome. You know, and you're kind of waiting, like, you know, what song did you like? You know, or like last week on the show, Rebecca Ray said she wrote a song that she struggled with the middle part of it because she felt it was too long. And all of a sudden started getting all this feedback. That's my favorite part of the song. And she said, well, it's mine too, but I just struggled with writing. So, you know, and that's why, like you said, the Q&A with the Spotify, it's like, until you tell me what I'm doing on the show that you don't like and you wish I would stop doing, like... I don't know. And so, you know, until right. they tell you, man, you know, I love that song that you played tonight. I don't know. I think it was like the third or fourth one. It was the one where you sang about X, Y, Z. You don't know how those songs are landing. Exactly. And it's and the, the, the irony is that it's the thing that people are the most afraid of until they allow themselves to sit in the middle of it. Yep. Uh, the, everybody's scared of criticism yep. until you really let it hit you in the chest a time or two. <laughs> then you go, oh, that wasn't criticism at all. You think just like I do. That's the beauty in it, man. It's yeah. a, it, it is a, it's a special thing. Yeah. You're starting to get into a territory where the question has to be asked, what can you do to top that? And I'm referring to the major artists you've had cuts with, as well as performing twice at the Grand Ole Opry. Is there, in fact, an entry or two or three on your music career bucket list that you'd care to reveal? Well, yeah. I mean, I've got a man, you know, 
Red Rocks is always a, that's a pinnacle. Mm. And I was on this uh, back in 2011. I did this thing called the Country Throwdown Tour, and it was the guys, the the people that put on Stagecoach and Coachella. Um, they they do tours as well, and and they did Lollapalooza and the Warp Tour and the Country Throwdown Tour. And so the year that I was on it, Willie Nelson was the headliner. It was Willie, Jamie Johnson, uh, Randy Hauser, Lee Bryce, and there was a side stage. Mm. It was Drake White, Brantley Gilbert, Craig Campbell, um, and then there was the Bluebird Songwriters Tent, which was me, Brent, Caitlin Smith, who's doing great with her career, Danny Flowers, who's a bluegrass player doing well, Aaron Enderland, who wrote a bunch of songs, and Austin Lucas, same thing, great traditional bluegrass guy so um uh we played red rocks but i with the bluebird songwriters tent like they they we had our time to play before the headliners started but as the set changes were happening we got to play on the big stage and so that was that was a nice little taste (laughs) of, of of a really special place so that i mean that's one place um and you know, I've honestly, I, here's here's another funny thing. I've never I've never played in Europe before. I've mm. never gone to Germany. I've never gone to Sweden. We've okay. never gotten out of the states musically. And um, I have so many friends that are like, "Oh, Adam, you know, your life will change." And mm. and so I think that that was, you know, that's that's something that I would really like to do sooner than later, because you know I. From what I understand, you know, the, 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 the closer you sound to Hank Williams, the better you're going to be. And, and not Hank Williams, is, well, of course, yes, but I do rootsier stuff. And so, um, you know, I feel like that we would probably be well received. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to find out. You were talking earlier about some Texas stuff, and I want to back up to that. I know that geographically it's kind of logical, but is there more to why you seem to have done so much in Texas? For example, a featured YouTube video on the homepage of your website is Adam Hood, Flesh and Blood, live on the Texas music scene. Plus, I know that your PR rep put out a press release in February about one of your songs being sent to Texas radio, not to mention that Harder Stuff, the song that we played at the start of this episode, made it to number eight on the Texas radio charts. Talk about all your activity in Texas, where you'll be performing three times in July and then six times between August and November. Well, I started going to Texas right about the time that Pat Green and Cross Canadian Ragweed, you know, there was a real, you know, that, that early 2000s, there was a real solid, substantial movement that came through commercial country music. And like I said, it was, it was Pat Green, it was Cross Canadian Ragweed, it was Randy Rogers, Wade Bowen, guys that are, that are now, I can say I've written songs for and with, and, and they're friends of mine, but they really, um, and you know, it, it goes back to, before that, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when when you know Willie Nelson left Nashville, where did he go? He went down to John T. Floors, and so you know, John T. Floors is right there where we were just talking about in that New Braunfels area. And then there's Robert O'Keen, and and there's just there's just there's just this rich musical culture in the state of Texas that is unique, and and it's you know, I mean. There, there are places that have interesting music scenes. You know, Athens, Georgia is a great music scene. Seattle has always been a great music scene. Nashville, New York, L.A. But Texas is special because it's 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 not just it it's it's musicians supporting each other, but culturally, the culture is it, the music is a part of the culture, mm. and and with that, 
there's resource, you know, there's venues, there's dance halls, there's a Texas radio. I mean, like there's there's a there's two or probably more radio charts that support Texas artists. And you've got to wow. have an address in Texas. And so uh, I have an address in Texas for a long time. Just, you know, but, well, we won't get into that. But um, but so, you know, it. But with me, I kind of fell into it just because I had my first manager lived in, in Austin. We went over there. That was the easiest place to get the gigs. Uh, I but, see. I mean, I fell into it probably at one of the best times to fall into it, right there when. And the good news is for me, like, had I come in before everybody got big, I don't know that I would have been as, I wouldn't have given it the time. But um, mm. because I kind of came in right kind of, in everybody's wake where I, I kind of had opportunities and, and was able to develop relationships with other artists that, that, uh, I may not have been able to, um, at, a, at any other time. So, yeah, I mean, Texas is really, and again, it, it all boils down to this. It's what you sound like, you mm-hmm. know? And I mean, if mm-hmm. Delbert McClinton is one of my heroes, I mean, Delbert is, a, is, you know, from Lubbock grew up in Fort Worth. I mean, that is, the Fort Worth sound is a real thing, and Delbert McClinton was a real part of it. And I mean, I just I'm a product of my influences. So when I got over there, I got over there sounding like the stuff that they're used to anyway. Uh, and uh, and so you know, it was like I said, it was it was just a it, it, all a unique experience as as you know for the years. Okay, so now having just said all that, nowhere in my research and. Audience, you know that I really pride myself in the research that I do for these interviews every week. Nowhere, Adam, did I turn up anything about L.A., but you've mentioned L.A. a couple times. Is it? No, Bruce, I just went out there to record a few times. Or did you actually live in L.A.? I did not live there, but I spent um, I spent three years going back and forth making that record with Pete Anderson. Wow. And I only did it, it was, it was only that time. Well, I'll take that back. So uh, I, I made that record with Pete, and then... From 2007 to like 2009, um, I toured with a guy named Leon Russell that you may very well be familiar yep, with. Yep. And um, Leon was, I mean, well, he he was the keyboard player in the concert for Bangladesh. And I mean, wrote a song for you that Ray Charles and everybody from Ray Charles to Christina Aguilera has recorded. I mean, Leon was, um, well, he's Leon Russell's career is very much worth a Google. And so... <laughs> I spent three years on the road with him, and, and wow. the, the the places that he did the best was all West Coast California area. I mean, uh, I, I I went everywhere from um, San Diego to Pismo Beach with him, basically, and and it was really neat. I mean, I played Malibu. I saw Bo Derek there. I mean, you know, just <laughs> I just uh, it, the coolest. But stuff did in the she world. see so, you though? <laughs> <laughs> you saw her, but True. did she see you? <laughs> yeah, she, no, I don't think she did. In fact, <laughs> but boy, I saw her. Um, but yeah, it it was a. Uh, well, maybe she did. I think she may have. In fact, you know, it's funny you say that because she was with John Corbett, and John Corbett actually recorded a song of mine. Wow. So, so maybe she did. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> How- Crazy. Funny. <laughs> We're going to close today with another one of Adam's original songs, one called Cars, Trucks, and Me. Adam, before I let you go and I play that track, share with the audience all about this one, if you would, please. So this song is is a song that is that's on the the different Adam Hood's different groove coming out. Um, uh, I wrote this I wrote this song a, a long time ago, and and w- I really enjoyed being able to go back to this one because melodically. I've, 
it's, it's beautiful and I'm really proud of it. And it was a lot of fun to really spend the time with this song. I feel like that, that this song may be the best example of the best performance I've ever had mm. in the studio, to be honest with you. Like, I, I mean, I, I listened back to it and I thought, okay, I feel like I got this one right for all intents and purposes. Now, you know, granted, you're talking to a guy that's never sang on key in his whole life. I stay <laughs> on the blue side of notes for I, forever and ever, but I got my point across as as good as as I could have uh, ever gotten it. And it's just it's a song about being on the road. And um, you know, I'm proud to be able to say that I don't always write songs about being on the road, but I'm also proud to say I, I don't because I have enough. And not only do I have enough, I have um, some good ones, and and they've gotten the point across. And I think this one does better than anything. And Kelly McQuee sang harmonies on this, and she just she's a spectacular singer. And um, yeah, it's just I, I'm so proud of this one. Outstanding, outstanding, Adam. Wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for making time to be on now here this entertainment. And congratulations on all the new music. And gosh, so much more that we talked about today. But really wonderful having you on the show. Likewise, thank. I enjoyed this interview. I had a great, a great time, and thank you for the conversation. It's been spectacular. I, I appreciate it as well. You bet, you bet. And folks, with that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, guitar player Adam Hood. Do visit his official website at adamhood.com. Again, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. You heard him talking about his Bad Days Better album on Adam's website. You can order that on CD or on vinyl. Additionally, look for Adam's full catalog on the likes of Apple Music and other online digital music retailers. All those live shows that we talked about, the third Lake Martin Songwriters Festival next month in Alabama, and a whole lot more, look on adamhood.com for the full list. As I mentioned earlier, Adam has seven other dates in July alone in Texas, Colorado, South Carolina, and Georgia. As you heard me ask him about, he is very much on social media. Find links on his website for Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Plus, of course, his music is streaming on Spotify, so give him a follow on there, too. Let Adam know that you heard him and his music. Uh, now hear this entertainment and keep up with him online for the release of the new album coming in September. I do truly hope that you like this show, that you're enjoying what I'm doing every week on the Now Hear This Entertainment podcast. If you've made it all the way to the end, thank you for having stuck with Adam and I. And I'm going to assume that that means that you do like the podcast. You can take action to let me know that you appreciate the work that I do to keep making this show happen every week, every month, more than nine years without missing once by going on my podcast website, nhte.net, and then using the yellow buy me a coffee logo that you will see there. This is not a sponsor. It's not affiliated with any brand or chain. It's just a fun way for you to send your support, your thanks to me, including a note that I will see when you utilize that option. You can also just head directly to buymeacoffee.com slash Bruce W. That's going to do it for episode 489. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from Adam Hood. This is the one he just talked about. It's called Cars, Trucks, and Me. They say it's fun where I'm going Must be cool to be where I've been I have no way of knowing Blowing into town and back out again 
across the interstates all look the same from California to Tennessee and now today they never change well it's always get to play for a couple hours and I might stay overnight but if I can hustle up the power I'm up and gone by morning light the interstate Change. 